Hey Auntie is based in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we live and work, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and all First Nations mob everywhere. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantal Weatherall. Thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure to be back with you for season two of Hey Auntie. Continuing our mission to listen to black women with more conversations reflecting our brilliance and diversity, showing that there's millions of ways to be magical. What is spiritual activism? I am so excited to share this episode with you, chatting with the incredible Eleanor Dixon from the band Katajala Kidadara. Eleanor is an incredible, powerful sister who has been active politically as an activist for years and years, although I guess she'd never have used that word to describe it before. She was really just doing her soul's work. Eleanor's approach to activism, her understanding of her purpose and her place in the world is second to none and really inspirational. Eleanor lives in a remote community in the Northern Territory called Malinga. It is south of Darwin and north of Alice Springs, really out in, I guess, what we would call the outback. Eleanor has had an incredibly successful music career, uh, winning awards, touring, playing at festivals. But a few years ago, she decided to take a break and step back and go home, go back to her community and focus her efforts primarily on being a community leader and supporting the protection of her culture and country. Eleanor was kind enough to let me give her a ring during uh, COVID ISO. So you might hear um, Eleanor's puppy in the background and mine too, bonus. I uh, really hope that you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure that you check out Katajala Kidadara's music. It is beautiful and does all of the magical things that we discuss on the episode. Thank you so much, Ello. This was a, yeah, it was a real wonderful conversation between sisters and I'm so grateful. Yeah, I mean, it's, Activism wasn't a word that was really familiar to me until three years ago, but um, I've been doing a lot of the work that, especially with protecting country and protecting families and culture, um, I think it's everyday, you know, work for me, but I've been very vocal about a lot of things 
in the past um, five years and been really trying to be proactive within my community and bring awareness to a lot of the issues and try to make it make a conversation happen when it comes to the issues that so that people don't just normalize it, you know. I think, you know, like the situation now happening uh, with the movement, um, it kind of spread globally now and a lot of people are becoming aware of themselves even and just with the experiences they've experienced in the world as, you know, First Nations, but also being black, um, so dealing with racism. I think people were a bit afraid to talk about that. So, you know, I've always tried to make it as make a space with my activism to for people just to feel safe to talk about the issues and to feel, you know, safe to and comfortable to. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement has been an incredible movement and it's been brought about by such tragic circumstances. But the organization and the rallying around that has gone around the world has been incredible and so important. But it looks very different depending on where you are. And I think Mm. that we need to allow space for that because I think that you can't separate Black Lives Mattering in Australia from your land and your protection of country and protection of culture. And yeah. I I first came across your activism when I was um, reading and listening to radio shows about um, the long um, battle that you've been involved in to protect your country from fracking. Yeah, so it's, I mean, the situation around... Uh, fracking has been for years where we've, since I was very young, maybe when I was, you know, 16, um, that we've come in contact with some of these mining companies. And, I mean, they have been exploring these lands, you know, my ancestral lands, my grandfather's, my grandmother's land for years. And since my grandparents have passed away, I, you know, took it on as a responsibility for me to find out what the situation is and how it's, you know, what's it manifesting into. And, you know, for the past three to four years now, I think I've just, I've come to understand what it really, what fracking is about and, it's really not safe for the environment. The practice is very invasive and it's, it ruins the ecosystem. You know, it just takes away the, it takes away our right from having access to clean water. And it, it kind of puts everyone in these communities at risk of being exposed to a lot of, you know, harsh chemicals and, but also the land being cleaned and the chemicals that they use is just um, very toxic that the environment will not be able to rehabilitate. And I had to look into it and really find out what what these chemicals are. And some of them are so toxic that they <clears throat> it could cause a lot of 
sicknesses like cancer and lung disease and mm. um, it just depends on how it after it gets into the environment into the land how does the land carry it so particles of the chemicals can be carried through the air as well as the water and so it's I've realized that that's just what you know if the government is aware of that situation and aware of the risks that they are putting people like ourselves, like me and my family and other communities at risk, then why would they, you know? So I've been activating, I've been doing a lot of activism work in, in, in bringing awareness to the community about the toxic waste, but also about just how the government just clearly wants to take from us again and really doesn't want to to give anything like we 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 don't benefit from this and it's just ruining a precious resource which is the natural world and we need the natural resources to be where it needs to be so that it could sustain itself and maintain and preserve you know, for so that we could live and exist as well. So it's yeah. just been a really long um, journey. I had to take off, um, you know, take a year off. I had, I had to have a break because um, I feel like it was. I was getting too um, into political, too, too, you know, everything was too political for me at a point where I just felt like. I want to be able to do my activism work and I want to be, you know, proactive in my community. I want to be voicing out some of these issues and concerns, but I also just want to take care of my spirit and I want to do activism that's sacred and also works, you know, brings benefit into the spiritual part of our community and our culture. That's so beautiful, sir. I was reading something earlier today that said that you need to be very careful when you're fighting against something that the fight doesn't take away who you are as well. Talking to you and listening to your music, you know, your connection to country is in absolutely every particle of your being and in the music that you make. Yeah. And it's just, but do you think that your work, even your music is a form of spiritual activism? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm always very honest when it comes to me being true to myself I'm always the first thing I would always say is that I approach things from a spiritual perspective and I I think you know it's because that's what I was taught as a child is to really feel and leave space for your spirit to guide you in moments in every moments of your life and I I've taken wisdom from that part of myself and I've used it and I've kind of put it towards or out into the world to um, share and exchange but also bring awareness to what it is to be someone like me, (laughs) someone who um, is responsible for land, for my community, for the rivers, for the trees and for my children and for the future. So it's just, I think, how do I 
how do I how do I get to that place of expressing all of those things at one time? And I think my spirit allows me to do that more so than my mind because my mind just it can't it won't allow me to do that. My mind can only translate what my heart or my my spirit feels. So I allow space for my spirit first and my mind comes in later on to actually communicate to me on a human level what it is that I need to do. The music transcends that. It's like a direct connection from your spirit and bringing all of those dimensions of meaning. Yeah. I can completely feel that having listened to your music. I can completely feel that. Because music is something that's in your it's in your blood, right? It's your from your from yep. your father, but even further back in your in both on both your father's side and your mother's side, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean music isn't everything that we are and everything we do. I think sound is a thing that that shapes us. Um we evolve through energy and sound and you know sometimes i've been i've been reflecting this a lot with the movement that's happening now the silencing of of black people uh, of indigenous people the silencing is because it's not because we're loud it's just that we know what we are and where we stand and it's an energy and it's it's the sound of you know a beating heart it's like the the rhythm that's been that you inherit um through your grandmother through your grandfather and through your family your lineage it's the thing that we value as um indigenous as cultured people actually we inherit the most valuable thing which is a rhythm that's in our family we know that familiar feeling and it's a feeling of home. So it's, <laughs> I think for me, it, it, I, I've managed to translate that into into sound, that feeling of familiarity and um, belonging, which is kind of like a, a feeling of your mother or your grandmother. It's like the best feeling. It's, it's warmness or it's, um, it's just the most safest place to be. And it's a remembrance of that feeling. I think that's the music. That's, the, that's how I've approached writing my music, especially Garajala, because it focused on the cycle of a woman and the story and journey of being a black woman in a white man's world and how I have to transcend myself but also remember at all times, like constantly wake up in the morning and remember who I am. And I have to do that for myself. And so the sound of the heartbeat of my homeland, which reflects my grandmother, is something that I, you know, carry proudly and I I want to show that and express it proudly and share it. And I know that a lot of other women can relate to that feeling. I love that. The idea of a rhythm that feels like home, that really resonated with me. There are times when I run and there are songs that I play on my running playlist and there are times when I'm running and I want to give up and... Uh, that beat just keeps me going and sometimes yeah. I listen to it and I think 
it feels timeless. It feels like something that was given to us, like when we discovered fire almost, you know? It's so yeah. timeless and eternal. And it's just like this, yeah, like a heartbeat. And it just keeps me going. And it feels like it doesn't belong to this time or place. It just feels like it's of my people. And it's like this thing that just drives me on and reassures me and lets me know that I can do it. I can overcome it because we have overcome and we continue to. And that is all contained in just the simple rhythm. It's incredible, really. It is. It's such a beautiful... um... I think that's the feeling that always got me through, even when I felt like I, you know, didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. You know, there are times when I just sometimes felt like I don't know how to be myself. So most of the time it was those kinds of um, sound and those kinds of energy and, and moments where I remember it's almost freeing, like it's freedom it's the feeling of freedom where you just don't have to think about things so much and I remind myself by listening to um, sounds or sitting in moments um, in places where they um, reflect that feeling of freedom which it comes with the heartbeat of something that's ancient, that feels so old. Are there sounds particularly connected to certain places for you, geographically and country? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's energy-based. If you think about it, um, the relationship we have with country is energetic, like it's spiritual. It's on, like it's on that dimension, like everything exists the spiritual world is present like and so everything every tree has a spirit and every water you know every every place they have a spirit they they have a spirit and they um there's energy but also there's a there's a moment sometimes when when the sun reflects on the water or the trees change color in season and they flower and there's food and all of those kinds of things reflect that feeling so it's not a thing that you think about it's just it happens and so a country has that feeling where sometimes you just find yourself being caught up in a moment where you're like I remember this feeling it's so familiar and then I try to capture every moment of that and put it into my songs and I I try to write about it. And I find it hard writing in English. <laughs> so translating what I feel in English sometimes is a difficult task to do for me because, you know, I can speak fluent English, I can speak English, but I, I can't really translate energy and the feeling How and the experience. You, how could you translate something so connected with country and identity and spirit into yeah. a language that is so newly overlaid on that. And it's so foreign. The language is so foreign even to, you know, the physiological part of our 
body. Like English language is so foreign. Whereas when I speak my language, my language sits in all of my body. And so when I speak my language or when I carry my language or when I dream in my language, it's it's all over. Like it, it is just automatically in every part of my being and in my body it's just it is it's what resonates through me. And it's when I'm my biggest, like my energy is massive when I'm fully and completely untouched in that part and I am fully a mudbara woman in every space and time and every moment. Sometimes in every you know, in spaces where I've had to perform in my language, it's the most relieving thing to do for me because English language, you have to think about what you're saying and think about how you say it. Whereas when I speak my language, Mutbara, it's more about how I feel. It's more about, it's more expressive in a way where it's, um, I have this really deep love for the natural world because I believe that the language is not mine, but it's my language that comes from the land and the land I speak its language <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense I yeah I understand. yeah yeah I speak my land language not so much my language and usually we say it's a matriarchal thing so it's it's passed on from the mother you know and my grandmother was a Mubara woman and she's more highly um, it's more highly appropriate for me to say that it's her language, my father's mother, to say that it's her, not my father's language, it's my grandmother's language. And that's when you feel like you are most embodied and your fullest and freest self. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel free and I feel like that's, I'm a reflection of my land, if that makes sense more so yeah. than I am a reflection of somebody else. But all my family, we carry the same similar, you know, familiarity. If you met me and met my whole family, you'd be like, oh, that makes sense. You're related to her. <laughs> because it's just a feeling. It's a massive feeling. And it, it's just, um, you know, like how people, uh, we're, we're more influenced by the natural world than we are of the Western world. So all of my family, my community, we, yeah, we carry more of what's around us, which is the trees and the birds and the seasons and the cycles and migration of insects and, you know, the plants flowering, the season and getting bush tucker, bush medicine. It's just all we kind of all move along with that and we're more like like highly influenced by, you know, nature than we are of the Western world. And I think that's that's why we why we are seen as being uncivilized or you know, we are seen as we're not we're not a part of society. But that's because we are connected to the real natural world and we choose yeah. to still be here because our law is embedded in everything that's natural. And so beautifully embedded for so long. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, that's what I've been reflecting on recently, too. It's been so long. I mean, I'm tired. And I'm just like, I'm only going into my 30s, but I'm tired. <laughs> um, it's a lot of work that I've had to to do, um, you know, leading up to now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was born into the fight, you know. I was born in 1991 when my grandparents were fighting for land rights. So it's um, it's ne- it never ends, you know. I mean, I guess we inherit a lot of beautiful things. We inherit culture and identity, but this particular culture, I've inherited a fight, a massive, yeah. long fight, and it's still happening. And it's you know, it's shifting in a way. There's there's a lot of um, awareness now around our existence um it's massive i mean i i mean with a lot of the things that's happening today i i think it was you know it was it's obvious it was bound to happen like that's just there's a breaking point you you know we can't just keep being pushed down and oppressed there's a breaking point where the oppressed has to, you know, retaliate. We have to say, this is enough, you know, enough's enough. Yeah. We need to, we don't need to be pushed down anymore. We are we are human beings and we should be treated as human beings. And, you know, we don't need to be looked down on anymore. That's like old news. That should have been done with a long time ago. It's just manifested in, in a different kind of form, I guess. It, it is exhausting to think that you were born and you remember as a young girl your elders having to fend off people trying to exploit your land and that you, as a as a woman now, five years ago, your music career was, you know, really taking off and you're playing festivals and being nominated for awards, talk to me about deciding to go go home and making the decision to prioritize your role as a leader and your responsibilities in protecting country mm. over what would be a dream to a lot of people. With my music, like, you know, it is, a part of it was activism, I guess. Um, a part of it was to bring across you know, messages from my world into the next world, into the into the other world, into this Western world. Um, bring the story of matriarchy <laughs> in to the Western world, and that that was that was a part of when I first started off doing music. I wanted it to do it because I have a daughter, I have younger sisters, I have nieces. I have a lot of sisters and cousins. I just there's so many women in my family that I know struggle to see something that is familiar. In the Western world it's hard to see a reflection. I guess I did that because I wanted to create a path for a lot of indigenous women, especially a lot of indigenous women in communities. I wanted to create a path that was safe and secure. I mean, I have experienced really hard things 
doing music, there were some challenges that I've had with trying to understand even the music industry um, and try to try to stay as true as I can to myself. And sometimes I feel like those moments, no one else understood me. No one really got what I was trying to say because the music was always sacred. It was paving a path, not for myself. I didn't want success. I wanted to create a path that that was laid out for other women from my community and other communities. That could be a thing that they could walk towards. They could dream of being becoming, you know, a singer or they could just do music and it's it's okay because I did it, you know. See it how yeah. yeah. that is such a deep part of your your lineage and your community to say this is beautiful and highly valuable. Yeah, I took off some time from doing music because working alongside non-Indigenous people and, you know, white fellows, I have to be honest, it's never been easy. I feel like I've always constantly had to be an educator. And that was tiring, doing that work and always being questioned why. There was a simplicity of me. There was It was simple. What I started off with was simple, was to just sing about the love I have for myself and the reflection of my land and the beauty of both things that are existing at the same time. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reflecting my country, but I want other women and other girls from my community to carry their land in that way, carry their love of country and their grandmothers in that way because it's the only feeling that feels like home is when you know that you feel like as a part of you that will always be reflected. And I think I feel more comfortable on country than I do in the city because the country, the sun could touch me. The rain, I could smell it, you know. I can hear the birds and the wind actually blowing I could feel it in my uh, in my hair and it feels it feels sweet and it feels just feels like there's there's a sense of freedom in every part of it that I would not get in a city and I think that's what I I want to reflect because that's who I am and I want other other young indigenous girls and women to to love that part of them because that's who they are. And it is beautiful and it's magical and it is beyond anything. Like it is the most glorious thing to ever experience once you get to that place. And it's difficult. It's challenge there are challenges. There are moments where, you know, you'll feel like you're not good enough. When I make my work and I think I really want to create this Often it's because I've experienced the lack of that and I thought I don't want anyone else to experience this. Did you ever feel disconnected or have those moments, as you say, where you didn't feel good enough or you couldn't find your place in the world? Yeah, a lot of moments like that. And I think it's because of the vibration, the frequency 
sometimes I know for myself that I needed to remember what I was doing there in that place, in that time, in that moment. I fought so hard to accept myself. You know, I've had moments where I, I just fell out of love for myself. And when I when I get to that moment, I realize, actually, I've done so much work. And I deserve to love myself. And I deserve to love where I come from. And I deserve to to be in this moment because of that love I have for myself. Like, no one can take that away from me. So I've worked so hard to love myself in this very moment. I really hear you, sis. I really hear you. There's a lot of messages in this world telling us that we're not enough. You know, when yeah. there's a lot of layers to this whole issue of unpacking white supremacy, and one of the most difficult layers that I've had to confront in order to grow and to come home to myself was the internalized white supremacy of feeling alienated from mm. things that were actually just essential, beautiful parts of who I was because they weren't aligned with yep. with mainstream culture or whiteness, whether it's my physical body or my the way my family is or the things that are important to me that seemed out of step with what was important to wider society. And I, I had been trained to dislike them and be alienated from them. And there was yeah. literally no... I think I read it somewhere. There is like there's no worse thing than to be at war with elements of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it really sounds like your music, what you're sharing, and the journey that you were going on, the sacred activism that you were doing with your music, was, yeah, that beautiful thing of saying my being as a beautiful black indigenous woman of this country is beautiful and I love it and doing that out loud and in public and in language as well so that others could see you almost like a lighthouse you know yeah or other absolutely. other sisters who might be lost because I think that's what a lot of um when I was very young, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to sing in my language too. So I was like, because of society, I was like, that they won't understand the language. And, you know, I had to grow a little before I started um, doing music because I was going to, I wanted, I was really, really keen on doing music at it from, you know, when I was very young. But I just, I I feel like I was guided um most of my life and certain ages in my life where I were moments where really impact like impacted there were situations that really changed the way I viewed myself and the world and so I put all of those times together and moments even when I was very young when I was first told that I was black it kind of kind of made it makes so much sense to me now talk me through a couple of those moments. This is the thing. This is another part of my life where I remember so, you know, I remember so clearly as a child when I probably was like 
seven, eight years old, I remember these missionaries telling my parents that my grandfather was worshipping the devil. Was a devil worshipper. Because he was a lawman. He was a very, you know, highly respected lawman in our community, in our um in our yeah, in our language group, in our tribe. Yeah, he was just really you know he he had all of the things. Um he was keeping the culture he had songs, he had knowledge of land and you know, he was one of those um people who had Ngulu had, you know, power. <laughs> um and yeah, it was that when I was very young that I I heard of I overheard um one of the missionaries tell my father that my grandfather was a devil worshipper. And what did and you I never, think as a kid? Uh, because I was always spiritually um, awake, even as a child, I knew straight away that it was it, it was it was really hurtful, and I felt mm. disrespected for my dad. And because my dad just felt like he was in a position where he didn't have power. Because, you know, churches in communities, some of these churches were very, very dominant and very, like, really brainwashing. So it was, you know, some of these stories would change, all of these. Um, it's really hard when you're a kid. <laughs> when you're a little kid, your parents are like the moon and the sun, yeah. right? When you see another person doing something like that to your parent, it's like it throws your planet off of its, out of its um, orbit. You know, you're like, oh, you know, it's really, it's a very hard experience to see someone disrespect your parent as a child. Yep. And then from that moment, I carried it, that feeling for a long time. I had so much love for my grandparents. And so much love and respect for my grandfather. Um, he was a very wise, wise old man, and he had so much knowledge. And I, I just loved everything about my grandparents, you know, because they were, they just reflected so much of what, just everything that is the safest place that could possibly be. Like my grandparents were all of those things, and. As a child, I just couldn't understand why would someone say that about my grandparents? Why would someone say that about my grandchildren? It doesn't because I feel like I know my grandparents. I know what my grandparents are like. And I know my grandfather has abilities and powers, but that doesn't mean that he is evil or he's a bad person because he's not. And when I was 14, I've had that conversation with my parents. So... I was like, I don't feel comfortable, you know. Um, I mean, I had a, I had to have a few conversations with my parents uh, leading up to when I was 19. But throughout my teen teenage years, I've had so many, so many conversations about that period of when I was, you know, younger. I had yeah. to say to my parents, I don't like 
this church. I don't like Christianity. And, you know, it was hard to explain it over and over. But I finally came to explain it when I was, like, probably 17 or something. And I was like, I can't go to this church. I can't believe in this God. And I can't... um, I don't feel comfortable anymore with these people because of what they said um, about my grandfather. And I said to my dad, you know, I had to grow up a little bit and be, I had to give my dad and my parents a talking and say, my grandparents are all the things that we need for our future. We can't live based on another religion. We already have beliefs. We already have a way of being in the world and we already have these practices and rituals and ceremonies and we have a place on this earth and it's for preservation. It's a heck of a trick, isn't it? It is. Uh, that, that somebody could pull on you to come to your own land uh, where you have an existing and thriving culture and, as you say, ways of being and ways of being in relationship with each other and ways of being in relationship with the land that have stood you in good stead over many Mm. generations and not only uh, implant a new religion, a new way of being over the top of it, Mm. but also tell you that in this new structure... You're at the bottom. Yeah, like and people, I, people you love are evil. Yeah, and it took me a lot of years to understand why I also felt uncomfortable around white people. It was because of the way they've impacted my life over the years, <laughs> and yeah. the the intentions. They had intentions that didn't align with who we were as people, as cultured people. It didn't align. It makes sense to me now that I won't give any, you know, I won't give anybody, especially white fellows, space and time to talk to unless they come to not take. They come as pure souls. If you grow up, and some of your earliest memories are of mining companies coming to your land, trying to take from you and your community. And then, you know, these missionaries having the audacity to say that your your beautiful, beloved grandfather is evil. Then, you know, it's understandable that you'd have a little bit of wariness. Yeah, yeah. But I never thought that it would be okay to talk about it. Until now, to bring it out and say, this is what happened. So it took me all of those years to actually, to this moment in time now in my life, and because of the movement that's happening, to actually say, this is what it's like to be black and to be indigenous. What does liberation look like to you, you know, as as a black indigenous woman? We have existed when the pyramids have existed in Egypt and it's still standing. We have existed when all of other ancient civilizations have been. And we, to this day, are still existing. That in itself is an act of liberation. 
We have been fighting for equality and justice, but we are proof of liberation because we are still existing. We are still resisting. And we are still, you know, evolving. And our culture is still here. Our cultures are still here. We don't have to want anything anymore. We don't have to need. We are what we need. We are what we want. And liberation is what we have already and the kind that we need is for every everything on earth to be seen as a being. And liberation is that act of just being. No matter we've experienced colonization and we experience, you know, brutality, we we experience racism on so many levels, we experience all of these things. We've experienced genocide and massacre, but we're still here. And that is liberation. That is the most most liberating thing to know and to carry and to hold and to put into motion because we're still doing it. We're still here. Thank you so much, Eleanor. That was a beautiful conversation. If you want to find out more about Eleanor's uh, incredible work to try and protect country, a great place to look is on the Seed Mob website. Seed Mob is an Indigenous youth climate action um, organisation. They're fantastic. They're super deadly. Have a look on seedmob.org.au and they have a specific campaign to not allow fracking in the NT. Check it out. There's loads of advice about ways that you can support. Also make sure you check out Katajala Kitadara's music. It's beautiful. It will inspire you to protect country even more. And hey, if you are still feeling supercharged up from listening to this beautiful conversation, why not log in to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and a written review? We'd be delighted. Thank you for listening. I love sharing these conversations with you. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and we'll talk again soon. Like we started.